welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And joining me today is Justin Kempinen. You may know him from his work at Fantasy Flight Games as well as Z-Man Games. He is co-designer on Imperial Assault, has worked on other hit games like Descent, uh, Jabba's Palace, the newly released love letter game, as well as the hit World of Warcraft Wrath of the Lich King, a pandemic game. But now, Justin is here to talk about the newly formed Moon Crab Games. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you. That's a preamble, a preamble and a half. You have a lot of history within the the whole industry. Yeah, I would say so. Um, uh, over the years, I've been trying to create the longest game title in existence. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got there finally with uh, with Wrath. So can chuck, check that one off the bucket list. What was your entry point into the world of board game design and creation? So uh, I've lived in Minnesota pretty much my entire life. And um, after college, which was some number of years ago, uh, my wife and I moved to the cities and we were just kind of getting work, doing uh, doing what we could. And um, I was working freelance, uh, freelance writing for a few different years. And uh, eventually I discovered that one of my favorite tabletop game publishers was actually local to the cities and they had a job opening for creative content developers. Um, they were looking for people to design and develop content for Descent 2nd Edition, and I applied for it and eventually got the job. And over time, I was able to you know, do some pretty good work with Descent 2nd Edition. I eventually uh, ran the game line for a good while, producing a bunch of the expansion content for it. And that gave me the opportunity to get in on the design ground floor for Imperial Assault. And so things just kind of uh, moved on from there. Uh, eventually, as... Asmodee and FFG continued to be part of this larger and larger ecosystem. Um, Z-Man Games was bought by Asmodee, and they needed some additional staff to help run that show. Uh, and so I shifted over there and helped out uh, Stephen Kimball, who was the head of studio there. So we're going to talk a bunch of dirt about Descent Legends of the Dark at this point, right? No, that, that's not why. Mooncrab Games. Uh, the, this is a really interesting project. Leviathan Wilds is this game that you guys are going to debut with. And uh, when I was learning a little bit more about Mooncrab itself, it seems like this is a, a new studio, a new publisher born out of several industry veterans getting together so you know we've talked about your entry point into the world of board games but like what's the genesis of moon crab so as you alluded to moon crab games is a new board game studio founded by three inter industry veterans there's myself there's todd miklich and there's sam shimoda uh, all of us worked at fantasy flight games in the past uh, we also ended up working with uh, Z-Man Games, so we've got a lot of history together making games and uh, building great experiences. So after our years at Fantasy Flight and Z-Man, we were part of the unfortunate turnover that happened at Z-Man Games last fall. And after that all sort of the dust had settled there, all of us found ourselves being free agents and started getting to talking about like, okay, could we do something here? Could we do this? I had uh, been... After departing Z-Man, I had been working on a personal design, uh, which was 
later to be called Leviathan Wilds, and I felt like it was particularly special, and those two uh, agreed with me. They thought it was interesting enough to continue pursuing. So we kept iterating on it. We kept working on it. We we found you know playtesters to tell us what was bad about it. We told ourselves <laughs> what important. was bad about it. It's important yeah. to be able to listen to the playtesters. Iteration is is absolutely the key to uh, improving on these things. And eventually it just kept going well and well enough that we, we felt like it was worth the risk to form an LLC, you know, to actually form a company called Mooncrab Games and to um, work towards announcing this product. And even like the biggest thing for us is that it's available to play right now. You can hop on Tabletop Simulator and play what we have as an early alpha build of it. Wireframe graphic design, not a lot of like story put in there as of yet, but the thing is playable and we think it's already super fun. And again, alpha, it is, it's going to improve. Like we're gonna keep working on it. We're gonna keep getting as much feedback as we can to just make this thing really, really uh, as special as we possibly can. Well, I definitely want to dive into the game itself because the the concept is really exciting to me. But I, I do want to know about some of the uh, cost benefit analysis that you guys had in, is this something that you want to take as a game that you pitch to other publishers? You know, when was it something that you knew that you wanted to create a new company around? Yeah, so that that's kind of the, the ethos. Uh, one of our, like, company ethoses is this idea that we want to have the the creative and the publishing control with all of the extra headaches and and trouble that that implies we came from this ecosystem of, of asmodee which is very very tight and very very controlling and in many ways that's that's important that's good you know i've got Lots of experiences and lots of good and bad things that occurred through, you know, an almost a decade working for that company. But really the, the underlying nature was that a lot of uh, there was a lot of control executed over products and not a lot of like freedom to express and to make decisions and to, you know, seek different ways of, 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 of doing products and just kind of making them as good as you possibly as we possibly could. So in the spirit of that, it was much more interesting to us to have that kind of publishing control where we can make these decisions that are you know, universally, uh, if we can, for the good of the product. Now, we're still trying to get a business off the ground and there are some constraints with that. But for us personally, our, our, our real ethos in this is we want to be able to say like, what matters and and both to the business and to the product and right now nothing matters more than the products that's awesome that's what you want to hear out of your creators right you know whether that's literature or it's you know shows or anything is you you want it to be the creators are invested in making the most quality product out there so let's talk about this product. The tantalizing, succulent bits that you've given me so far. This is inspired by or, you know, could be conceptualized as like 
Shadow of the Colossus meets a Gloomhaven-style adventure game. And that alone is just about as exciting of a pitch as I could possibly get. So give me the skinny on Leviathan Wilds. What am I going to play when I sit down to play this game? Uh, drawing that comparison, and now it could never live up to people's expectations. Yeah, uh, not only one of the most celebrated tabletop games of all time, also one of the most celebrated video games of all time that balance this, like enjoyable you know fun gameplay experience with like this auteurship over this being like a, a phenomenal piece of, of just creative design so you know you're setting yourself up but you know i think you can make it well the the baseline is that uh, leviathan wilds is a cooperative game about climbing massive creatures you play as a crew of expert climbers who are tasked with exploring the wilds and healing these ancient frenzied leviathans that tore the world apart generations ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the game is played on an, uh, a spiral-bound book. The book itself is a large map that features an illustration and a grid-based tactical map of a leviathan itself, and you uh, are represented by little figures on the board climbing around to the different spaces on the leviathan, destroying these binding crystals, which are causing them to be frenzied, which coincidentally is also what's causing them to try to kill you the entire time you're you're doing this endeavor. And so you, know, you can see kind of the, uh, the DNA, or at least a similar design prompt from, from Shadow of the Colossus in particular in there. Uh, and, I mean, you can also see some of the DNA of other games like Descent and Imperial Assault. You know, I, I love my grid-based tactical games. What can I say? Um, but still, like, there's, there's a lot of other things going on with it as well. Um, I think one of the most important distinctions, of course, is that Shadow of the Colossus is a single-player video game RPG from about 20 years ago. And so you can't approach a tabletop game with quite that same... Uh, idea it's it's a puzzle game it's it's uh, a, a series of large boss fights where this is a little bit more of a sprawling tactical still a puzzle because it's you know a cooperative game but it's a little bit more sprawling and and tactical with cooperation throughout this leviathan map when we talk about the the games that you've designed historically uh you were like i said involved in the descent line or leading the descent line and then you co-designed imperial assault as tactical games, those were designed one versus many, and when there was a conversion to being fully cooperative, it was app-integrated. Was that a consideration at any point that this might be an app-integrated game? Is there app integration at all? Like, How do you handle the, this new era of your cooperative tactical games with you know, having a satisfactory opponent? Yeah, I... I worked on the uh the road to legend app for descent second edition so uh converting that into ai driven uh was was definitely a, a, a big challenge especially with the just enormous number of uh pieces of content that was available for that but to potentially put plenty of people's fears at rest this game is not app integrated whatsoever uh what you get in the box is is will be fully playable forever i I have nothing against app-integrated games. I worked on them for years. I led teams that worked on them. They they give a lot of opportunity to um, do things you can't always do in analog. But this is not that. This is uh, specifically trying to be uh, 
AI driven in a way that allows the players to express themselves and, and to be empowered with their capabilities in a way that's a lot more challenging, uh, I would say, not necessarily with app integration, but more specifically with one versus many. Um, there's also like one of the biggest things about this game uh, and, and the divergence from Shadows of the Coloss Shadow of the Colossus is one of tone. Uh, Shadow of the Colossus is this melancholy experience. It's It's got kind of a sad beginning, a tale of regret and woe of this person whose companion died or is in a coma. I, I, I forget the fine details. It's very somber. Uh, it's very, very somber. It's very melancholy. And, and your actions throughout that game are also very somber and melancholy. You never feel good about the things you're doing. <laughs> but there's something about cooperative games in particular and this i think we're talking about influences comes from working on a game system like pandemic where themes of hope and triumph and and cooperation as the game mechanism for that can make for a, a, a definitely an interesting tone definitely a tone that fits and integrates a little bit better so in this instance instead of killing the leviathans which probably would have been easier to write and establish as like the way that this world that we're creating for Leviathan Wilds functions, you're actually saving them, you're healing them and trying to do something good. And I mean, we'll say, you know, the last couple of years, it's, it's nice to escape a little bit of the melancholy and the bleak and do something that feels right, even if it's just in fiction. I rambled a bit, so I... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's very in vogue right now to have what would traditionally be viewed as, if someone just looked at it at the table, like that is a dungeon crawl game or an adventure style game that has tactical elements. Uh, it's very in vogue to kind of circumvent combat as the, the main... Uh, point of intersection uh, with the game. In this, you, you started out by saying you are climbers. Your objective is to resurrect or heal these colossi, uh, the leviathans. Um, you, is this still going to be a game where you know players are sitting down and there is an enemy that they're going to have to make interesting tactical decisions about my job class versus your job class and you know this is the best way that I can approach this and so long as I do this you might want to do that and kind of plan out strategic ways of tackling yeah encounters. so essentially like the Leviathan is going to have a, a set of behaviors and it's going to be attacking you and hindering you as you go on but the player side of the game is this more or less a tactical climbing puzzle. The Leviathan is filled with um, hazardous spaces and spaces that will make you lose your grip. Uh, you're going to have to jump over gaps and, and scurry to these different uh, points on the Leviathan that are represented by dice. They're these big binding crystals which are causing them to, to, be, uh, to have gone insane. And by breaking those crystals is what's going to free them. So there's several of them scattered across this map, and you have to plan your turns carefully, decide where you're going to be going, how you're going to be getting there. Uh, and one of the key hooks as far as that's concerned is uh, this is a card-driven game. You're going to start with a hand of three cards. Now, that doesn't sound like many, but stick with me on this. 
uh, your cards are used for two separate things. They're used to uh, be fueled for action points, which your player board will have a list of actions, which are essentially climb, jump, glide, strike, a couple of restoring, healing types of things. But they're going to be your sort of bread and butter getting around the map and doing things. But every single card in your deck also has a special effect that can be used at any time during your turn to augment your actions or during any other player's turn. So players have this ability to string together some pretty interesting, unique combos in order to really, really be effective and efficient with their actions in the game. Now, I say all of that, but I mentioned that the Leviathan is going to be trying to hinder them. That's exactly what it's going to be. You might have a great plan, but when time comes, Leviathan reveals its card and is going to show this big AOE attack on top of your face, and you're going to have to reconsider. Um, that's the other big hook. The other thing I think is, is most interesting about this system is you reveal the Leviathan's uh, intent before the, uh, the next climber's turn, before the climber is going to activate, which means you get to see what it's going to do to you. Now, several of them may not give you a whole lot of options on, on, on like what you're going to be able to do to circumvent its abilities, but several of them are these big area of effect attacks which are placed on the board, not on your climber. So you scurry out of the way, slam, the uh, attack misses, and you feel really good and really smug. But um, it, it gives a layer of control to the players to decide like how they're going to approach this and, and fitting that into the tactical puzzle of where am I going to go? How am I going to use my cards to get there? Does anybody else have anything that could give me just one more movement of, uh, one more space of of climbing so that I can hit this blight and then glide out of the way. You can string together a lot of very interesting turns. So what ends up happening is that each turn is this little micro puzzle where Leviathan's going to tell you what it's going to do to you, and then you're going to decide how you can approach this particular turn if anyone else can help you. Over time, the Leviathan's going to be getting meaner and meaner. It's going to be dealing more damage. It's going to be causing more hindrances and effects, and you have to, you know, continue onward and, and wrap up or it's just it's eventually uh gonna gonna be so mad that you probably won't last too much longer well that's the individual game that that's one session but talk to me about campaign hooks you know i, I have so many questions that I, i'm sure could just be uh you know rolled out in a fact sheet here but <laughs> we we have a podcast we're two guys on a podcast so let's actually talk about uh some of this stuff so uh, is this a fail-forward game, and, uh, or is it a game where you play a scenario until you complete it? And what was some of the decision process in that? Oh, fail-forward. The great debate. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, I will talk a little bit about uh, the plans for the campaign. Um, it's worth noting that we've been pretty deliberate to say, like, here's the preview that's available that you can play now. It's hinting at the fact that there will be a campaign. There will be some story elements that go into it. Um, as this is still an alpha state, some of those things are we're still kind of uh, figuring them out. We're pretty sure that we've landed on exactly what it's going to be, but one of the aspects of of making tons of these games over the years is that the moment you anchor anchor yourself too firmly to any <laughs> given concept the moment everything changes and you've you've spent you know two three weeks doing something that you just kind of have to look at and say i can use 20 percent of this so uh all of that to say 
there is going to be a, a story campaign attached to this. There is going to be uh, some amount of progression for, for the climbers, not like full deck customization. Uh, one of our big, big parts of this game is trying to make sure that you can set it up and play it within, you know, five to 10 minutes, like really, really fast setup. Open the book, shuffle the uh, Leviathan deck, shuffle the player decks, player boards, Leviathan board, and you're ready to go, more or less. Uh, not a lot of extra punch board components, not a lot of extra, like, little markers and tokens. Just very, very quick, very quick setup. But that being said, there's still going to be some some things that the uh, players will gain access to that will let them customize how their, how their characters are going to be working. Uh, there's going to be opportunities to unlock lots more Leviathans to face. And, um, oh, I can talk about it. One of the things that will probably show up in a, a later iteration of the mod, it's planned for the full version. Hopefully it works. We're still working out the kinks on it. Is a another uh, card effect that will sit flat out on, on the table uh, rather than being hidden in your deck and you have to, you know, wait to draw it. A, and for what it's worth, the card, the decks are 10 cards, so you're actually going to see all of them repeatedly throughout a scenario. But there's a card on the, on the table that you can use more or less at any time under certain restrictions. Uh, we're calling these mementos. And what they are are the, uh, the uh, enchanted relics that one of the climbers, one of the members of the crew actually creates uh, out of wood or stone in memory of the Leviathans that you've successfully restored. And so they provide special abilities, but also this this thematic tie-in. So long story short on that, it's kind of a little bit like Mega Man. Every Leviathan <laughs> beat is gonna give you this this special thing that you can you can use as a as a permanent effect. Good good analogy. You know, like <laughs> you're hitting all my thematic notes here in that, you know, I, I'm a big epic fantasy guy, you know, I love Tolkien, I, I love Dune. Um, you know, a song of ice and fire. Like I, I love these uh, fallen worlds that have this ancient history that's unknowable to our characters, but is is able to be touched. And it's just the iceberg. And so I'm like imagining all this go on, um, like Roshar for uh, Sanderson's Stormlight books, and then you go Mega Man. Uh, which is actually way more perfect from a mechanical standpoint, uh, and uh, I love the, the the connection of those uh, right there. So that that's perfect. Reward structures. That's that's something that's important. And and you talked about <laughs> fail forward. Chances are that's kind of the uh, the reason why. Like we we would say fail forward. You know, you can continue forward with the story. But hey, this is your game. You own this. You can play this however you want. If you want to backtrack and and go up against this Leviathan again and see if you can win, absolutely do that. And if you do win, you this is the reward for winning. So trying to have our cake and eat it too. And with the game length being what it is, it's it's average probably 45 minutes to 60 minutes per session. Uh, it's not so bad to to backtrack and see if you can do better the next time. Justin, I am a completionist. I, I am the type of person who I'm playing Resident Evil 8 right now and I cannot leave a room if it's red. I need it to turn blue. <laughs> so there is no way that myself or my group are going to be able to move on knowing that there is a potential reward that we could replay to get. Um, that's really exciting. Uh, but uh, in the interest of time... You know, I, I want to talk about like some of the actual creative process here, uh, and you have so much experience in the industry, as we were talking about earlier. You know, 
most of your uh, professional game design history has been involved with established lines like Descent, Love Letter, Pandemic, those types of things, as well as existing IPs using World of Warcraft, Star Wars, that kind of stuff. Um, what was the feeling of transition into uh, moving into a game that is whole hog something new as far as the game design and uh, having to do that as a, a brand new IP? I'm sure it was exhilarating, but also were there challenges involved in that? Storytelling is just one of my favorite things in life. I, like, there's no other way to say that. And I have been trying to professionally tell stories for what feels like a couple of decades now. Um, and so being able to start from the ground up from scratch and to, to build a world and build a story has been just absolutely thrilling. I, I have loved every minute of it. But <laughs> uh, in particular, the nature of tabletop gaming, uh, and I'm probably going to talk about this a million times if I ever get the chance to, uh, is very, very different from the type of world building and storytelling that you can afford through almost any other medium, film, television, video games, and books. You have such a narrow window with which to capture not just one person's attention, but an entire group of people, some of whom are looking at their cell phones or uh, they're hungry or they just wandered off to the bathroom. Like there's, there's, there's so few ways of making sure that you capture the attention of those people. So my personal ethos and what we're also trying to do as a studio is is making sure to express as much of those aspects of world building through play we're trying to make sure that you can what you can see on the board is totally like all the details you can see are related to the world building and theme the card names like the titles of cards themselves are giving uh evocative an evocative peek at the world and these characters that you're embodying and the flavor text there there will be flavor text is not so uh lengthy that people start to tune out because of course if people don't pay attention then i can't tell my uh, amazing magnum opus of a story <laughs> anyway so you know it's, it's self-defeating at that point um the process has been grueling. I probably spent at least 40 to 50 hours writing the opening blurb, this one tiny paragraph to try to encapsulate as much of this very, very complex world as, as I possibly can, because I want you to read these things and I want you to uh, have an idea, but I also want you to be curious. I want you to know more about this destroyed human civilization who are these climbers and where did they come from uh, what happened with the leviathans why are they why are they sick what drove them crazy and i want you to wonder that and i want to just so greedily dole out those pieces of information slowly over time just to to keep that curiosity but also keep that interest because I feel like the moment I hit you with three pages of prose, some people are going to check out and not necessarily remember as much. So it's all about really, really trying to leverage the tools of tabletop gaming and of play in order to tell these stories in a, you know, a, in a 
really effective way. You mentioned flavor text, and immediately when I think of flavor text, of course, I think of Magic the Gathering. I have old magic art behind me, and like there was something evocative is the perfect word for it. Um, you know, like there was something about getting a, a quote or maybe even just like a, a stanza of a poem or just a line or something that's attributed to someone. But the, 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 in the early days of magic, at least those weren't characters that you had artwork for though. The, you couldn't just point to, Oh yeah, this is who Urza is. Who's Urza? You know, what's Dominaria? What, what are all these different things? And the sort of um, fantasy archaeology uh, of being able to, like, uncover those things made the flavor text itself, like, uh, I think, not just richer, uh, but also more meaningful. Uh, it was a way of, like, connecting with the game and feeling like you were you were able to unearth more through the these somewhat cryptic epigraphs at the bottom of every card i mean sometimes it's a chub toad and it you know <laughs> you just get a cool little poem but uh you know uh so that kind of stuff uh is really exciting and it seems like it's something that that's right up your alley especially with your aspirations early on to to be a storyteller um what about the the visual design for this world clearly this is a baby for you and uh this is something that you really uh wanted to to nail tonally uh and, and how you were going to deliver this like when you were just going from basic story outline and uh nuts and bolts game design to starting to create a visual identity what was your process so originally um the we we i uh, when when designing i was thinking a lot about tone and i think initially it was Okay, we're gonna go for that. We're gonna go for that uh, bleak tone because I, I, in spite of the fact that we eventually moved away from it, I do kind of love that. Like yeah, some yeah, of my of favorite things, like I love Hollow Knight, I love Dark Souls, <laughs> I love those types of, uh, of of bleak tone and appearance. But of course, as we move towards something that was a little bit more. Uh, adding a bit more hope and uh, and um, triumph to the to the nature of the game the the visual style that we had envisioned wasn't necessarily going to fit i was imagining you know kind of dark colors and you know rough uneven brush strokes uh kind of kind of like a hollow knight i think was was sort of my original uh original thought behind it it's perfect it's one of my favorite games of the last several years silk song when so you know like <laughs> e even right. if that's not in the finished product uh you know like if that's some of the basis of inspiration there right up my alley silk song can arrive after i finish uh, elden ring which will probably be sometime <laughs> in 2025 so yeah. uh <laughs> Sorry. Uh, to backtrack, uh, this is this is where it's really important to to surround yourself with clever, intelligent, and very skilled creative professionals. Sam Shimoda is our uh, creative director, and he was a longtime artist and graphic designer at Fantasy Flight Games and Z-Man Games. And he brings with him a personal style, but a breadth of knowledge about how to do different styles, not just you know for plain artistry, but also for specifically tabletop gaming. And what he brought to the table was a lot of color. 
And that's one of the things that I think is most interesting about the way this looks and how that helps to feed into the tone of the game is that there's just a lot of color. It's not dark. It's not bleak. It's very, it's very colorful. And the, uh, the characters look very evocative and the Leviathans themselves also have a lot going on with them that just make them look interesting. Some of them are animal-based. The tutorial, or tertorial as I like to call it, is this massive turtle that's covered in these uh, these big crystals. Uh, The sentinel is this really tall uh, leviathan that's almost melting and uh, oozing into the ground a little bit. And he brought these these ideas that we had to life in such a way that was just really, really fascinating. And it clicked like being able to do it that way was also one of the things that allowed me to start to solidify some aspects of the story a little bit. And that's like collaborating with really skilled professionals. You let them bring their ideas to the table. You tell them, Hey, these three things don't work. The rest of this does. And I'm going to take all of the stuff that works and I'm going to incorporate it and fold it back into what I'm doing in order to try to build more cohesion out of the entire thing. One more uh, thing about the creative process that I think is always interesting is like when you let uh, go of those like core ideas that, uh, you know, were so precious at the beginning, but through feedback, through iteration, you decided I got to cut this. And tonally, that could be that somber tone, you know, that that fallen world uh, in order to transition to something more vibrant or triumphant. But mechanically, as you were developing this game, were there any concepts uh, at the outset that you really wanted to work into it, but through iteration and evolution, the game kind of became a, a separate thing? Yeah, I would say the the emotional core was the thing that probably changed the most. But mechanical uh, aspects of the game uh, were we created these pillars really early on. And I, I cannot recommend this exercise for for people who are are trying to become creative professionals trying to (laughs) uh, establishing the things that you want to express through the different layers of the gameplay Um, one of them was a level of approachability to be able to set up and quickly play the game to be able to teach it fairly uh fairly readily now there's there's a decent degree of strategic complexity in the game but people can learn and start taking turns relatively quickly the tutorial scenario is designed to not punish you not crush you into the ground right away to let you experiment a little and discover what you can string together so approachability is a big part of it Uh, another big part of it was trying to make it very awe-inspiring you're talking about scaling and fighting creatures of unthinkable size which is an absurd prospect when you really really think about it but also very very cool so all of the things that you do should should feed into this and and finally we're talking about a board game we're talking about a medium where people like to express themselves and they like to feel smart and clever and we want to give everybody all the tools in the world to do that which is why you're able to see the leviathan attacks before they land it's also nice because that's kind of how big boss fight mechanics are expected telegraphed attacks so you can dodge and weave 
but also that you have this this hand of cards that can combo together. Those pillars of the game have held really strong throughout, and they've informed a lot of the decision-making about design and development and artistic design. Um, All of the other ideas along the way, like tons of little mechanisms and tons of ideas for storytelling and even some, some of the other artistic pieces, they're on our uh, darling. If you've ever heard the phrase "kill your darlings," we have a darling slaughterhouse. It's <laughs> it is just filled with the bones of bad and great ideas that just did not fit with all of those with that core conceit with those pieces of vision that we wanted for the game. One of the great things is that even if they get chopped, you know, they're they're axed, they're in the slaughterhouse those can always be resurrected for future yeah. ideas and they could be brought back. Some of the greatest stories started that way and some of the greatest game designs started that way. So Moon Crab Games, you have your initial pillar of Leviathan Wilds, but what's the future beyond that? Are you guys conceiving what the, the future trajectory is or is it right now, let's just focus on making this game, releasing it? We have, uh, when we started off, uh, we we created a, a Todd and I, who Todd's the developer and business manager. I said a lot of nice things about Sam. I'll also plug Todd here. <laughs> um, I design games. He makes them good. That's, that's how that relationship works. Um, he, uh, we sat down and did a, you know, a, a one-year, three-year business plan. And it's all, you know, a comfortable fiction based on imaginary numbers. But that, too, is important to do. It's important to theorize, okay, if this product goes well, if we're able to, you know, crowdfund it successfully, what's the next step? Where do we go from there? Do we decide to release expansion content for it? There's probably a fair amount of additional uh, leviathans and, and climber abilities and cards that we could conceive of over the course of the next couple of years to, to keep that game line going. And we've got the experience to run game lines. So that's, that's definitely a possibility. We're also interested in exploring other worlds and creating new things. Uh, so I think the answer is if things go well enough, absolutely we're going to try to make more of this. We're going to also try to make more of other things. We're going to identify other areas that we think like genres and styles of gameplay that are not as represented in the medium and in the, in the, uh, in the hobby right now. And we're going to, we're, we're going to try to find them and we're going to try to serve that niche as best we possibly can. Well, that sounds about as good of a trajectory as we can possibly, you know, imagine at this point. And I have no doubt that this game, uh, given the pedigree of all the people involved, the concept and all of the the visuals uh, that I've seen so far uh, looks spectacular and you're going to have uh, success on this. So I want to know, the people want to know, where can they hop on and play the the alpha build uh, of this? And where can they keep tabs on Moon Crab Games? And when are we going to see some crowdfunding so that way people can actually get their teeth into at least the, the hopeful beginnings, the, the little uh, germinating baby stages of game development on, uh, or game production on Leviathan Wild? Yeah, so uh, we're announcing about as early as we feel comfortable doing with some of these wireframe alpha pieces. And the reason for that is 
so that we've got a really long lead time up until crowdfunding starts to get people interested, to show them, hey, we think this thing is fun now. Tell us how we can improve it and then stick around and see how it improves. And hopefully that gives enough trust that you're interested in, in helping us out when we move to crowdfunding. Basic theory is maybe towards the end of the year, maybe as early as the summer, but it's really, really going to depend on how much interest and support we get going forward because you want to launch strong. That's everything I've ever researched about any kind of crowdfunding is that like that strong launch can really propel you to some some really like impressive successes. It can allow, it can allow you to do so many cool things with a product that being underfunded just won't. So we're really looking to build that crowd. On that note, the best way that we can do that is for anybody to visit leviathanwilds.com. Got a bunch of information there about how you can uh, you can support us. Uh, you can interact with us. We have a Discord channel set up for people to come in and play the game. We've got channels for people to sit and play. You can ask us questions, like if you're confused about rules interactions or something, we'll be there. We'll be answering questions probably more often than we should. But, you know, we want to help. We want people to have a good experience with the game, too. So join us there. The The Discord link is on the website. Uh, other social media links are on the website as well. Uh, a sign up for the newsletter, which will be the point at which you'll know when the, when the uh, campaign goes live. And I believe a bonus for, for backers if you're on our newsletter uh, when that finally rolls around. That's also going to be a really good way for us to gauge how much interest there is in the game. If we've got a really robust number of newsletter subscribers, that's going to tell us, hey, it, it might be close to go time. Um, and the link to the tabletop simulator mod is also there. And links to all these different things are going to be peppered everywhere uh, where it makes sense for them to be on these different social media things. If you end up uh, not being able to find it, go ahead and check out leviathanwilds.com. Um, also links to the rule book. The full rule book is available for people to read. I mean, it's in a Google Doc with some screenshot images, so it looks terrible, but it's not in bad shape. Uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I love it. I love it. And all these links are going to be in the description below. So everyone pay attention. You got all the 411 on what to look out for. Justin, I'm really excited about this project, not only thematically, mechanically, it's all hitting the right notes. And it's a pleasure to finally get to talk with you about this exciting new project and see where Moon Crab Games goes from here. So thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. You are very welcome. And thank you for, for letting me yammer for a while. Oh, it, it's uh, my pleasure. And people are relieved that it's you yammering and not me. That's, <laughs> that's the whole point of it. So thanks again. And we'll be on the lookout for the game. Thank you.